Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. We'll take you back uh, about 60 years ago on an August day on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. After roughly 11 minutes... Martin Luther King Jr. went off script. He was ready to conclude his painstakingly written and rewritten and rewritten speech and sit down when gospel singer Mahalia Jackson called out from behind, tell them about the dream, Martin. And so an already noteworthy 11-minute speech became a 17-minute speech that profoundly shaped the 20th century. King had begun that day by recalling the importance of the Emancipation Proclamation. And he built the speech on this image of a a check of justice that needed to be cashed. But at Jackson's urging, King called upon ideas that he had spoken of many times previously. But as he spoke of his dream, that theme of freedom rang clear. In fact, the words, let freedom ring, borrowed from the song, My Country, Tis of Thee, became the largest block upon which he would build that powerful speech, concluding with the hope that a day would come when people could speak the words of another song, which the lyrics were, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And though he used a variety of images and illustrations, at the center of King's famous speech, the thing that turned it from a noteworthy speech into something that really did shape uh, the last century of our history. The thing at the center was God's promise of redemption through Jesus, the Christ. You see, the reason was that as a man of faith in Jesus, Martin Luther King Jr. knew that at the heart of God's mission is freedom. Okay, That's where we're going to be today, is to understand that at the heart of God's mission is freedom. Now, Jesus made that clear in the beginning of his ministry. We've been looking at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Matthew 28. We're going to get back there in a second. But but at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he describes his his ministry this way. He's quoting from the, the book of Isaiah as he makes his way into a synagogue, and he tells them, uh, when he's quoting this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Now, again, he's, he's quoting Old Testament scripture here. He's attributing it to himself. He's saying, this is what I've come to do. But we, we have to, to be careful here. We can't just hear words like freedom and justice and, and just kind of stuff whatever meaning into those words that we want them to mean. Jesus wasn't just saying these things to sound poetic. He wasn't just saying these things because he wanted to seem religious by quoting Old Testament. There's very definitive ideas of what these things mean when we talk about those. And to, to really understand what he's getting at and understand the mission of God as we've been doing in this series, we have to see the heart behind the mission. And recognize who it is that is invited to join God 
in his mission. Okay, so we are going to return to Matthew 28. And if you have Bibles in front of you, you can turn and, and find that. Matthew 28, it's, uh, what is it, page 900 in the Bible that's in front of you. So feel free to check that out. And as you're making your way there, I want to show you uh, a part of that up here on the screen. And I, I'm not trying to, like, be mean or, or confusing, okay? There's something missing here, okay? So I'm just going to, you're going to look and you're going to help me understand. You're going to know what's missing, but if we read it from what's here on the screen, starting in verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed, him, directed them, and then when they saw him, they worshipped. Jesus said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he goes, what we commonly call the Great Commission, Go therefore, on and on and on. Now, what's missing? You, somebody can tell me. There's the words, but some doubted. And so then what happens next? Somebody else can tell me. Jesus came near. Okay, we, I left the Jesus part in there. Because Jesus does two things. He, he says something to them, but before that, it says that some doubted, and Jesus came near. Now, my question to you today, my question for us today is, why did, he, why, why did we include, but some doubted, and Jesus came near. Because really, what's lost if we just read it this way, right? When, when they saw him, they worshipped. We said worship is the fuel for mission. This is the thing that, that has to come first. We, didn't, we don't do things for God unless we understand who God is, right? So, so if worship is the fuel for mission, why do we need to know anything else? When they saw him, they worshipped. And so in response... Jesus says, okay, you figured out who I am. You got that right. Now, here's what you need to do. Jesus says to them, all authority has been given to me, heaven and earth, so go. Why do we need those extra six words? I think there's an answer to that. And I think the answer is found in the answer to two other questions. And then four answers related to those questions that are related to the freedom that is at the heart of God's mission, okay? So that's where we're going to be today. I want to, to start out, I want to ask this, what if it wasn't there? Okay, or again, what if we didn't have those words, but some doubted Jesus came near? Here, here's the big problem. I think if those things weren't there, we might get the wrong impression about who can be a part of the mission. I think very often we already have a wrong impression, a bad impression about who this whole idea of the Great Commission is really for, Okay. And, and, and I ask you this, okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'm going to guess that if I pulled this, this group that's in here and said, how many of you heard, and this is not in praise to me, but if I said, how many of you heard, have heard somebody really talk about those words, but some doubted, as a part of the Great Commission, how many would say, oh, yeah, yeah, that gets talked about all the time in my experience? Now, again, maybe some of you are unusual. I would say, it doesn't happen to me very often. I sit through a lot of talks about this. This is kind of what we pastors do, okay? And, and it doesn't get talked about. And it's not because there's something like grossly missing or we, we've failed something big picture. But I think we have a tendency to blow past this idea, but some doubt it. And, and I think part of it, as we were talking to some of the guys this week, right, part of the reason that maybe that happens is because if you're looking at, like, the Bible that is on the floor in front of you or, or, or you know, you're looking at my Bible, it's got red letters, and so when we, we turn to Matthew there, we, we tend to go, oh, the Great Commission. Oh, what did Jesus say? 
We just, our, our eyes, I mean, it's just physically, our eyes go to the things that Jesus said. And we just kind of skip past not just those, those six words, but we don't even generally start at verse 16. We just kind of jump in. Oh, yeah, Jesus said. And we even maybe skip over the, the first part or the last part of 18 and just go, oh, yeah, Jesus said go and do this and do that and do that. And we just, like, that's where our eyes are drawn. And, you know, I think we're also quick to get to the, the commission. Right? I mean, that's the headline. What are we supposed to do? That's the headline. And so we're, we're quick to move to that. And, and again, that's fine. I mean, this is really important. We're going to get there. Okay? We're getting there. So it's really important. I think there's another reason maybe we, we skip over that. It's because if you're like me, you tend to associate certain people with mission, especially the Great Commission. We, we tend to have an idea in our mind of who are the people that are Kind of knocking. Who is this for? Who, 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 knock this, who knocks this out of the park, right? The, the people that are associated with mission, they're, they're confident, and they're especially outgoing, right? They're the extroverts. Maybe they're, they're really zealous. They're really into this. They really, I mean, God's really done something phenomenal in their lives, and man, they, they're just what we would say on fire. We're going to actually look at this idea of on fire in a couple weeks. They're, they're the pious among us, right? They're, they are the Christian rock stars, these people that are, that are doing the mission. I think that's where we, we tend to go. They tend to, we tend to think of men like Martin Luther King. But, as we know, Martin Luther King Jr. had his own very serious problems. And you and I have our own problems. Which leads to the second thing. Why? Okay, what we're told that Here's this, these 11 disciples. They make their way. They've done what Jesus has told them to do. He's resurrected. He says, meet me on the mountain. They show up. They worship. But some doubted. Why did they doubt? And what does that even mean? The word here really has to do with, with, with hesitating. It's a word that's ascribed to Peter previously. At some point, Peter's called, Jesus walks on water, because like, that's what Jesus does, is stuff like that. And and, and Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, like, let me come to you. And so Peter has this, you know, bucket list thing. You know, if you're going to put a bucket list, walking on water should be on there if Jesus is going to let you do it. And so, so Peter walks on the water, and then at some point he, he falters, and he begins to sink, begins to sink. And, and Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Or, or why did you hesitate? Right? Like, I'm right here. I, I'm the one that called you here. Why did you hesitate? So it's this idea. They're, they're hesitant. And you wonder, well, well, okay, what kinds of questions are running through their head at this point? I mean, one, they watched the man be brutally murdered. They watched him get, I mean, he, he was buried. And now they've been told Jesus is alive. So there's this question, is it, is it him? Right? I mean, is it really him? Like, am I, can I believe my eyes? What am I seeing here? It's the kind of thing that we see Thomas specifically, you know, the question he asks. Maybe they're wondering, well, Okay, so he's back. So, so what does this mean for us? Like, what's, what's he about to say? Right? They, they haven't heard the Great Commission yet. Like, we read it. We know that's what's coming. But they don't know exactly what's coming. So, so what does this mean? Like, he's here. And, and now what? In fact, it, we, we find that they're probably wondering, as we see in the book of Acts, they're, well, okay, so is now the time? Like, coronation? The, the king is here. And so now you're going to be the, you know, the, the new king of Rome and emperor transition is going to happen? I mean, all these, these questions about what is this going to mean for us? But I think there's an even more important question. You think about what's just taken place. 
I think the question in their mind, the reason that maybe they, they hesitate, the reason that there's some doubt, is because they're wondering, how is, how is he going to respond to us? Here he is. He's the king. I mean, he, he's alive. He deserves worship. So they do it. They, they bow to him and they worship. But you can imagine the question in their hearts. How's he going to respond to us? Because what's just taken place in the days since they saw him, or as they were seeing him be put on trial and, and murdered, they all split. They all left. I mean, Peter denies him three times. I, I don't know this guy. Oh, hold on. Don't, don't lump me in with him. And now here they are, gathered together. And you can imagine, maybe the question is, What's he going to make of us? So we're told that some hesitated. And I think the same can be said for us, right? Wondering, what does he really think of us? Can he really use somebody like me in this mission? And so I want you to know four things that, that I think answer that question. We're going to look also at 1 John chapter 4. So if you'd like to, you can, you can flip over there. Um, but, but we're going to look at four things. One, I want us to understand, and I think we see all this in, in Jesus' response in this moment. One, we need to know that God is free. Okay, these relate to the freedom at the heart of God's mission. God is free to love us. Really important to recognize that God is free to love us. Let me ask you, you don't have to answer, but rhetorically, right? How do you respond to someone when they are hesitant towards you? When, when somebody hesitates, you're, you're approaching them and they're, they're hesitant. What, what is our natural reaction in that moment? It's to withdraw. If, if I approach you and you, you back up, and then what do I? I back up. Unless maybe kind of you're like a psychopath or something, right? Like, like somebody hesitates. You don't just say, oh, you're hesitating? Let me run. I mean, we don't, we don't tend to do that. We, our tendency, again, I'm making generalities, right? But the, the tendency is if somebody's hesitant, I back up. I, I draw away just because, I don't know, like personal space kind of thing. We, we tend to do that. But there's no hesitation. There's no hesitation in God. Not, not of the kind that we deal with. Okay, it's really important. Just big picture, best way I can, for me, <laughs> tells you more about me than maybe any of you, right, is just to know God is not Jerry Maguire, okay? God is not sitting around going, you complete me, right? Like, that's, that's not what's going on with God. He doesn't need us in that way. Which means he is completely free to really love us. Right? You think about it, relationships where kind of needs. It's not bad that we have we're dependent. That God has made us this way, but there's some limits. <laughs> you know, there's there's problems that, that can pop up because of our dependence. But God is completely free to love us, and so we're told Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. It's important to recognize this. 
Right? So, so what do you do if you don't, like, you know, once you've withdrawn, or, you know, once you recognize somebody's resistance or their hesitance, and then you probably withdraw, what do you do to overcome hesitance? Well, there's, there's different ways you can do it, right? Especially, I've noticed, you know, because I'm the pastor, and so I, I try to be, like, I mean, not just because I'm a pastor, but, but especially because I'm the pastor. When kids in our, our church, like, I don't want to seem, I want to seem friendly, okay? So, uh, so I try to really make a point of, like, the kids in our church, like, they know. I, I want to talk to them. I, I care about them because Jesus cared about them. I care about them. I, I really do. And, but sometimes, like, I'm just big, tall guy. Like, that's all they know that has this weird thing on his face. So, so you know, they, they, can, they can be hesitant. And if they hesitate, what, what do I do? Well, I, I, I can get, I get down, right? I kneel down or, or get lower and try to, to draw in and draw them close. And, and so notice, what does Jesus do? Some doubted, and Jesus drew near. And he, he's not phased by their hesitance. And in fact, he knows. I mean, I'm, I'm making a little bit of, you know, guessing, some scholarly guessing, but he knows exactly what's going on in their heads. And he moves towards them. He draws near. And he comes to them. And so we're told in 1 John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is... God is love. He's not, he's not becoming more loving. He's not, you know, working on this. It's not, oh, you know, he got a really, like, a long head start. And so he's just more loving than you and I. No, God is love. This is his very nature, who he is. He, he's free to love us and draw near. So the second thing we have to understand is God's love is also free to us. Okay? It's free to us. We're told this. I mean, this is the, the message of hope. This is the message of why Jesus came is help us understand that, that God's not waiting for something on our behalf, like something that we can do for ourselves. He knows we are, we are stuck. There are things that need to be done to honor who he is and, and the way he's made things and, and deal with the rebellion that we have wrought. But God's love is meant to be free to us. And so we're told, Isaiah 55, he says... Again, poetic, but, but he says, Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. He goes on, right? So, so he, he's saying, come, it's free. This, this gift, it's free. And so Jesus comes in his ministry, John 7. And at one point, he stands up. And he cries out to this festival that's gathered. And he says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. Same kind of idea as what was being said in Isaiah. Look, it's free. Just come. Come. I want you to have this. Come to me, though. It's in me that you'll find this. This is where it's free. So that is the message. God's love is free to us. But we have to understand as well that it is free to us at great cost. It comes at great cost. Go on in 1 John 4. It says that God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Great cost. God sends his son. You say, well, yeah, okay. I mean, God's doing God 
stuff. Yeah, but, but notice then, why? Why did he send him? Well, verse 10, we're told that love consists in this, not that we love God, right? Love was not, oh, you know, humanity, you finally figured it out, you did enough, now I will send my son. No, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us because he doesn't need us, but he chooses to love us. He loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's this same language, again, sent language. This is mission language. God sends his son. He sends him to do what? To die. Because that's the way this all gets fixed. That's the way our rebellion against the holy and good and perfectly loving God gets addressed. It's the way it needed to be. And so he does it, though. He enters into, he draws near, and he enters into our suffering, and he takes on our suffering upon himself. It comes at, again, great cost. God's love is free. And then that points us to the third thing, which is that God's love sets us free. God's love sets us free. That's what he came to do, to set us free. That's what we were told there in 1 John 4.10, right? He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's, it's another, in other translations, it would say propitiation, big fancy you know, theological word. What it means is God's wrath is rightly directed at us. We have rebelled in our sin. Our, our thoughts, our actions, the things we do that, that don't honor him. He's the king, as we'll see next week. We don't honor him. And, and so he is right to deal with sin because sin wrecks things. It needs to be dealt with to make things as they should be. The trouble is that we're a part of that. So to deal with sin is to deal with us. And so God's wrath is rightly directed at us. But, but this word, it's the idea that instead of that coming upon us, it's directed at Jesus. He takes on the punishment, the penalty for our sin. He is the atoning sacrifice. It comes at great cost, but it's a cost that then sets us free. It deals with it. It, it, it. Jesus says, it's finished. And this is what he said his, he had come to do. John 8 says that as he's teaching, many believed in him. And then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You want to, we'll talk about what it means to be a disciple. It's somebody who does what Jesus says, who follows him. He says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And they, they respond, whoa, 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 wait, what, what's this talk of freedom? Like, that's for other people. No, 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 we're descendants of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone, which isn't true. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus responded, I tell you, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. If you have any sort of, if you don't do it all perfectly, you find that even though you'll try to do all kinds of other things to escape your sin on your own, you don't. You're just enslaved to it. That's our plight. But Jesus says, a slave does not remain in the household forever, right? Eventually, you gotta, that's dealt with. But a son does remain forever. And so his point is, if the son then, right? he says, so if the son sets you free, you really will be free. You'll become, what he's implying is, you'll be a part of the family. You're, you're brought in to be set free, to, to no longer be a slave to sin, but instead to be a part of the family of righteousness, to live a whole different kind of way, this whole different kingdom way. Again, we're going to get there next week. 
Sin shackles us, but Jesus came to set us free. And that's what God's love does, is it sets us, sets us free. So the last thing we need to know. If that's what Jesus has come to do, if that's, that's what he's doing, is he, he draws near to this group of doubting, hesitant disciples before he commissions them. What he has in mind, then, is for us to all understand that free people, free people. This is what we're, this is the mission. You've been set free, then we get to participate in helping others be set free, free people, free people. And so love, then, is a mark of being free. It's a, it's a mark of being alive and free. So 1 John 4, 7, at the beginning of what we've just looked at, John writes, he says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, love's a mark of being alive and free. Us being willing to love, especially one another, those who have also been set free, that's a part of it. But the implication, as we'll see, is that we, we love people who have yet to be set free. And so he says in, in verse 11, these are bookends, right? Saying essentially the same thing. Dear friends, he goes back, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, I said, God doesn't need anything from us. He is completely whole in and of himself. But here, we're told in a certain way we complete God's love. All that means is that what God intended for his love to do was to change a people into people who love and that they would then express that same love to others. And so we're told that our love for one another and our love for people who don't yet know Jesus actually solves this big problem that many have, which is how can I trust God when he's invisible? And John says, look, no one's ever seen God in his full glory, but the way God is seeking to reveal himself, he's done it perfectly through Jesus, but the way he wants to continue to reveal himself is through the love of his people doing what Jesus has done. Now, not because we can, we can make it, what Jesus has done any better, but all we do is we just take what Jesus has done, it's finished, he's done it, and we live it out and present it to others and give them the taste of what we ourselves have experienced. See, free people want people to be set free. So we, we talk about things around here like what we call the heart attitudes, right? Putting the goals and interests of others above your own. That's so that we don't get caught up in just this word love, right? Again, we're just filling these words with these, you know, like stuffed baked potatoes. Oh, just put whatever you want in there, right? It's not the way this works. No, no, God means something when he, he talks about this. And so we understand that to love is to put the goals and interests of others ahead of your own. It's the reason we talk about giving and receiving scriptural correction. Not because we want to sit here and be like, Lording over each other. No, but because we want each other to live free. We, we want to recognize that sometimes, because we're not yet free of this 
all the sin of this world and the sin in our hearts, we, we have been set free and we will be completely free, but we live in this in-between. We, we know that there's this tendency to, to go back into slavery or, or a tendency to go back into that kind of bondage. And so we help each other. We spur each other on to lay that stuff aside and recognize the sweetness of freedom. See, mission, it's not for the rock stars. It's not for the, the faultless. It's for the free. It, it's for others. It, it's for those who want others to have the same freedom that they themselves have experienced. So bondage to a, a warped and puny view that regards people in terms of the color of their skin rather than the content of their character and that, that's a terrible plight. If we are to, for, for those who live in that kind of bondage, it's awful. And, and so our country, our world, would no doubt be magnificently better if people are free from that kind of outlook. No doubt. But racial discrimination and all the things that have gone with it and continue to go with it is just a symptom of a far far greater bondage. Whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. or you and I, God takes great joy in hitting straight licks with crooked sticks. Anyone who has been set free, right, think about this. I, I love music. I, I played the trumpet for like a year and a half when I was a kid took a six months of piano lessons, okay? I'm not, I can't make music. I love music. I can't make music. But you give me a bell, right? Like, I can ring a bell. We can all ring a bell. And anyone who has been set free, anyone who's, whose hands aren't bound by the tyranny and bondage of sin, anyone that's been set free can ring the bell of true and lasting liberty. That's what Jesus came to do, set us free. And so I want to give you just a, a few next steps. One, if, if you've never known the freedom, the sweetness of freedom in Jesus Christ, man, we want to help you learn what that's about, talk about that. That's not something we just rush into, but, we, but let's talk through that. We would love to help you. Another step, I want to encourage you. Before we get into it, and we're, we're trying to build at this, okay? I know when we talk mission, it's easy to just, okay, yeah, what do I got to do? Trying to slow roll that a little bit, right? Mission starts with the worship of God. We need him. He's the reason. He's the fuel. And mission comes when we understand what he's done and what he's called us to and how he can use us. And it comes as we understand, again, what it is we're really trying to do here. So I want to encourage you. Something that's been an encouragement to me over the last month or so, been praying this pretty consistently, made, made you'll see this in a second, uh, got artsy on my, for myself to just ha have a reminder to pray for Bob, okay, <laughs> to pray for Bob, you see it in your notes, your listening guy there, okay, to pray for a burden for the lost, pray for opportunities to witness, and for boldness to proclaim Christ, okay, now there's a lot of stuff going on in between all those things, but I'm just personally and praying for and for us that we would care about seeing other people set free 
and that God would bring along opportunities to talk about the freedom that we have and a boldness to really talk about what that's all about. So I encourage you to, to pray for Bob. Next week we'll look, though, that, again, in part, that mission, it's not a solo sport, okay? This is not something you just go off on your own, okay, I got it, here I am. It's not a mercenary endeavor. It's a team thing. I want to encourage you, though, to pray for Bob. And then I want to ask you to join with us. We're going to start, starting tomorrow, 21 days of prayer. We've done this. It's been a couple years since we, we did this, but for many years in our church, we've, we've prayed, usually around this time, 21 days of prayer. I will send, if you're on our, our email guide, our email list that, that goes out every week, I will send an email tomorrow where you will, you will get the first day and you'll actually get the entire guide for the 21 days. And then you'll have an option to, to opt in. If you want to be emailed those things, like as a daily reminder, you'll have a way where you can, you can do that, okay? So uh, if you're currently getting emails from us, then you'll get that tomorrow. If you don't currently get emails, you'd like to be able to pray with us, man, we would love that. Um, again, we'll put you on that list. You'll get to hear more about what's going on on a weekly basis. Uh, can always opt out, but that, that's what's coming, okay? So I want to invite you to pray for us, and this will end on February 5th. So we'll, we'll start tomorrow, and then that will go through February 5th, a Sunday. And then I want to, I got one other step. Just want to invite you, if you are interested, uh, coming up on February 6th, I'm going to do a workshop called Good News People. Okay? It's just an evangelism workshop. We're just going to talk about some basic things when it comes to sharing our faith. Some, some really helpful, practical tools when it comes to just talking about what is it that Jesus has done for us. And so that'll be Monday night, February 6th. If you're interested, want to know more. If you can't make it that night, but you're interested, let me know because I can do it other times. But that's where we're going to start. Okay, so I want to invite you to begin thinking about all of those things. That's what I got today. We're going to just land it right there. I want to pray for us as we consider the mission of God and his goodness to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You have set us free. And I thank you, just like I said, that you do hit straight licks with crooked sticks. And not only that, but you promised that you're, you're uncrooked in us. I pray that that would be the case, Lord. Help us to recognize just your goodness to include us in your mission. Give us opportunity to be bold for you. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, and we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.